penetrating the automotive industry, my first question to anyone who wants to get into the industry is why? Were you mistreated as a child or something? You have some deep-seated psychological issues you're trying to come to terms with because it's so painful and so unpleasant, but it, it is evolving, it is changing, and, and automakers need help. So maybe now more than ever, they're listening, recognizing that they don't know it all. They don't have everything figured out and they need all the help they can get. Welcome to The Bike Lane. I'm your host, Jake Siegel. Back with us today is Roger Lonto, Director of Connected Mobility at Tech Insights. As Director of Connected Mobility, Roger has a powerful voice in the definition of future trends in automotive safety, powertrain, and infotainment systems. He draws on more than 30 years experience in the technology industry as an analyst, journalist, and consultant. He's conducted and participated in major industry studies, created new research products and services, and advised several clients on strategy and competitive issues throughout his career. He's a prolific blogger and frequent keynote speaker at industry events. He's on the advisory boards at Automobility LA, part of the LA Auto Show, and ITU's Future Networked Car Events. He's also been recognized by wards and inducted into their Automotive Hall of Fame. Roger, welcome back to the bike lane. Good to see you, Jake. Just saw you about a month ago in Detroit at Ward's, uh, formerly TU Auto Show. It, it was really cool to see everybody back. It was I wasn't at TU last year, so being at Ward's, formerly TU, this year was cool to see a lot of folks that I haven't seen in, in years because uh, you know we're always working in our usual circles. But then there's the all the folks I... Um, miss that I didn't get the crisp high fives with at CES this year due to budget cuts or other things. But um, I'm kind of curious, like I, for me, it was great. I mean, clearly there was a, and we'll talk about this on the show is, is a clearly trend around Android and car and, and a better understanding between Android and Google and what that means. But um, I'm curious from your perspective, other key things you saw either from a tech perspective or just like an industry vibe being here in Michigan. That event was definitely Reestablishing that old, you know, old home week uh, feeling again. Uh, people getting back together, in including actually, there were a few uh, retirees and and, and refugees uh, mm -hmm. from from various outfits. Uh, some looking for work, uh, some hanging out a shingle, uh, and a lot of people moving around. So uh, it, it was good to see, and it was clear that it was a, a key networking opportunity. But more importantly, for clients and 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 acquaintances in the industry that I knew that were there, development teams were circulating, uh, looking to check out the goods. So you didn't necessarily have C-level uh, executives at the event, but what you had were people who were, you know, getting getting stuff done and uh, trying to find new solutions uh, in the marketplace. So uh, yeah, that, that show has uh, recovered and is back on the scene, clearly. Thank you for saying two things. Uh, first is our, our friends that have uh, retired and most of them by choice, I'll add, and we'll get to that in a second. But uh, it was cool; like it was really cool seeing that, and and I, it made me feel good that they still wanted to talk to me after they left. So it wasn't just purely business driving everything. And um, on a personal note, it was a, it was a warm feeling running into several of my friends and, and a lot of competitors. And uh, your point about the rainmakers and the, the actual folks building stuff that that's one of been my biggest gripes around the specifically with an automotive at CES in the past uh, two years, and then even going up into the uh, pre-pandemic like in 2019 and 2020, is that uh, I, I agree with you, there wasn't a lot of uh, senior executives. But frankly, I, I don't know that senior executives at car companies are making decisions that are that needed within this sort of a tech audience. Yeah. So the difference between an Auto Tech Detroit and the CES show is 
CES is kind of like a uh, look at me event. Uh, and so, you know, you get some big names there on the show floor. Look at what we're doing. You know, it's, it's showing off the goods. Uh, it's very hard to, uh, on the show floor, find out what's really going on, with the possible exception of a, a, a reasonable analyst briefing uh, that I had with uh, senior Cariat executives. <laughs> of course, Cariat has since nearly imploded, but um, mm-hmm. uh, it was uh, some very uh, insightful uh, sharing that was taking place. But generally speaking, you know, here's the new widget, you know, come and get it. Isn't it cool? Uh, that's generally speaking what ces was about although strangely uh it's not a consumer show uh so it is an industry show uh and certainly people go there to do business but i would i would suggest that a lot of that business that's being done is probably happening in hotel suites you know off the show floor or maybe at fancy dinners or whatnot uh, whereas Autotech Detroit, it was more getting into the weeds, you know, how does this solution work? Who are you working with? What's the business model? Uh, you know, who are the investors? You know, it's a little bit more nitty gritty and you don't have a lot of all the distracting flash of, of CES. That being said, it's awesome that the automotive industry is taking over CES because it's a great uh, showcase, especially in the context of a lot of auto shows kind of taking it on the chin lately. Heck yeah. I, I was just, I just got back from our uh, CTA, the Consumer Technology Association group that runs CES uh, board meeting. And I've learned that West Hall, which is the new hall at, at the uh, Las Vegas Convention Center is, 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 or is almost completely sold out. And now we're taking space outdoors. And, and that's really encouraging to hear that, that we're seeing this. The, um, on, on kind of kind of a sad note is the uh, it feels like the North American Auto Show, which is now in the fall, uh, which is not. I mean, I'm glad it's in the fall because I mean, who wants to come to Detroit in January, right? Yeah, that uh, North American International Auto Show, NIAS, whatever you want to call it, uh, it, it has morphed and, and evolved, and uh, Lord only knows what it's going to look like this year. Uh, obviously, it was a big disappointment last time. Uh, they have tried to open up kind of a startup area downstairs in the past. I don't know where that stands now. Um, the uh, the main show floor historically has been, you know, car companies showing off the goods, but not really, you know, coming clean about what's really going on in the industry. So it's more of a, you know, spokespeople, you know, models in front of cars kind of proposition, mm-hmm. very controlled messaging. Um which you know for me is 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 kind of off-putting. If if they evolve in the direction of a you know a Munich and EAA, uh, which you know used to be the Frankfurt show, is now in Munich, uh, where two years ago you know they had like at least a hall and a half on micro mobility, which was a little surprising, uh, but um, you know it, it did get some some decent traffic. But more importantly, on the show floor itself, you had the mix of suppliers and the car companies all together. Uh, there was a lot of content, a lot of good speakers. And the right speakers, you know, like senior BMW executives on stage with Google, you know, getting into the what's really happening uh, in, in the car and how they are working together and cooperating. Mm-hmm. And um, and you could you could run down people who knew a thing or two and, and have a decent conversation, which is was rarely the case at a Frankfurt or at NIAS. As I said, it's it, those environments historically have been much more controlled and uh, maybe they can, you know let their hair down a little bit and, and, uh, you know, have it be a little bit more of a, 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 
a fun environment and interaction. Yeah, agreed. I I don't as a, on principle, I don't attend or participate in pay to play panels or speaking engagements. I feel that, uh, and I want to highlight on a positive side, uh, SAE and and how good of a job they do where you have to submit to speak and CES also does the same thing. So you have to submit to speak and, and go through panels of uh, judges and, and people that, that to do the selection process. Now, like in every industry, there's always going to be a little bit of uh, guidance. I'm, I'm sure there's no uh, shock that uh, some of the keynotes are, they're not paid to play at these big shows, but I mean, certainly they're have good relationships, but with that, but the idea of like, you can get on stage for a certain price, something is very off-putting for, for me. Yeah. 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 No one wants to see a, a paid for uh, presentation and, uh, and, you know, with all due respect to the folks uh, uh, at wards, you know, there were some slots that did appear to be uh, paid for. And I, I have to say, since I've been around, you know, so long, I, I am a little bit concerned about, you know, what's going to happen to SAE or where they're headed because they used to be the big kahuna. They used to have so many shows that they had all over the country, mm-hmm. uh, including Convergence, which was at one time a must-attend show. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't even know if it exists anymore. So the model is right, as you just, as you define and describe it, and they are in the right position, you know, at all those key decision points and standard-setting activities. But um, something's a, a little bit gone awry there. They need to sort of pull it back together. This is kind of a good good transition into trends is that some trends that we've seen even in safety, uh, especially with the heavy push from Qualcomm on CB to X, I'm not against CB to X or Qualcomm. <laughs> of course but, not. But the, the heavy push and the dollars that go into it became pretty evident. And transitioning is like from a show standpoint is – when there are companies that are small and medium-sized businesses that are trying to get in front of large tier ones or, or try to make a play towards an OEM, you go to one of these companies and say, for $25,000 US, we will put you on a stage where there's going to be a bunch of execs in the audience. They're going to say, sure, I'll sign up for that. That might work for a year or two. But eventually the folks that are in the audience go, I don't want to be listening to this stuff. So there's like a trail before that decision causes that reaction for this. And I just am a believer on principle that trade shows serve a very good purpose of raw networking and access, access to the technology, access to the people, access to truth. And uh, I I think we got a little bit away from that pre-pandemic in like 18, 19, uh, beginning of 2020. And I feel like we're cleaning things out. So you you mentioned about your your comment, going to go back to this about uh, stages where you have like a senior exec with someone from Apple or, or Google um, let's talk about this. So Apple, Google, Android, it feels like when we start talking about interactions between drivers or uh, whether they're using their hands to drive or not in, in the car. that Did you mean to say Apple, Google, Amazon? Not exactly. I was thinking of Apple, Google, the companies, and then the Android OS. So all right, all right, good all clarification. Right. Thank you. So I'm thinking like those are how I think of the big three uh, technology pieces and two are companies that manage it. So it's, it's complicated to try to even explain this. I mean, I guess the taxonomy can be debated, but, and it is, but uh, I'm thinking about this is when someone comes in a car they're and they're interacting with their vehicle, it's on their phone, Apple or Google, right? Um, uh, which, or they have a non-Google phone that's using Android or they've got Google gas or they have a Google um, or excuse me, an Android OS, which is ran by a tier one. So 
I, I'm curious, have, have you seen, is there, is there going to be another player you think coming in? Because when, with the safety topics uh, and bringing this back to the bike lane is one of the things that has always slowed down innovation it, for any, even when we're used to, I used to work in the music days when you and I first met when we we're making radios for Pandora, it was like, well, how many Pandoras are there going to be out there and how many different um, mobile phone types are going to be out there? So from a, a vehicle standpoint, are we seeing that there's going to be any more players coming in from the um, architecture that's going to be coming in for for IVI for infotainment or or is this it? Well, the big movements and, and it's it's kind of funny because you were there for a lot of this was the smartphone mirroring effort that swept the industry. So that that brought you know Apple and Google uh, and and Android for that matter into the conversation. Uh, I think uh, there's, it's undisputable that the industry is now moving back against that. They want an embedded experience. Uh, in spite of the fact that we don't yet have sort of an unlimited data plan yet for uh, for automakers with the carriers, uh, but the carriers play you know a, a critical role here because we're going to shift to in-vehicle app stores. Now, some people hear that and they go, "Oh no, not again!" Because we've been here before and it didn't go well. And other industries, you know, have tried to do the app store outside of the phone, uh, and it, it just doesn't doesn't always work. It's it's so far, it's I guess it's working on my TV. Um, and I, I have a kind of a swipe uh, experience in my Hyundai Ionic 5. Uh, I, it, I don't really have that yet in my BMW. But that's clearly the direction we're going. Automakers want to take more control. They don't like the projected experience. They don't have control of it. Uh, they can't control the whole ecosystem, whereas they feel they have more control if they can have an embedded app store. Now that has a whole bunch of obligations that it puts on them, you know, which apps are going to go in there, how are they going to work, how are we going to keep them updated, when do we remove them, how do we monitor usage? Uh, it's it's going to be complex. It's not. A, it's certainly not a no-brainer by any means. That also, though, uh, has put Apple in the crosshairs uh, because uh, automakers, you know, that's the main uh, way you're getting your Apple experiences with CarPlay. And clearly automakers, you know, GM, VW, Mercedes are downplaying CarPlay big time. And if you're a German automaker, that's really going against the grain. Now, there are those who say, you know, Apple's waiting in the wings with a big embedded solution of their own. Uh, and they want to make a big statement and up their control of that in-vehicle experience. I, I think the automakers are kind of digging their heels in uh, on this one. Uh, they'll support CarPlay, you know, sort of. But uh, they definitely are tilting, you know, towards a more of a Google-oriented uh, experience in the car. The challenge that is going to relate to safety is that when there are specific safety apps that communicate with work zones by state, or uh, it could even be for a fleet distribution for safety, so navigation for uh, certain parcel delivery services don't don't allow left-hand turns, things of that nature. Uh, you're now adding another gatekeeper that has to go in and manage on a global global stage. And um, and you're right, Roger. We've seen this before. I remember when uh, General Motors was trying to do this back in like 2011 or something like that. And um, you know, it, it does feel like Groundhog Day a little bit. The uh, one of the things I like about this for, and I've talked to our clients about this from Valtech, is that they're writing an app you really only have to do this once or having providing an sdk software development kit once and there is this projected experience which uh if for any listeners aren't familiar with that that's the concept of your phone's the brain you plug your phone into your car or it connects wirelessly and then that's what's controlling what you see on the screen 
versus embedded, which is uh, you could leave your phone at home or your battery's dead, whatever, and it's still going to work. So with that projected experience coming in as a as an app developer, if you're working on safety apps, you have to think about this as um, do I need to make 25 different apps for all the tier ones and go that route? And um, unlike the Groundhog Day moment of, of 10 plus years ago, I, I don't think that's the case because there's such a prevalence around Android as an OS. So you're, you're creating that, that APK and then offering that up. And, um, and then theoretically that plus an iOS app should have you have high penetration of coverage. But I mean, Roger, my question kind of going back to this is like, is that it? Or do you think there's going to be some other thing that's going to make it more difficult for app developers, whether it's for a parking app or whatever that may be to distribute? So that infotainment stuff is sort of the, the scum on top of the pond. What's really going on underneath is uh, we're getting SOCs with higher performance computing coming into the car. We're getting a 5G connection. We're getting Ethernet connectivity in the vehicle. And we're getting cameras all over the place in the cabin, outside the vehicle. Mm-hmm. And so we're having an experience where you said the brain is in the phone. Well, the brain is in the car and the car makers are saying, look, we're investing in this brain. We're going to use that brain Mm -hmm. uh, for everything, including the infotainment piece. Mm -hmm. What's a little bit different this time around with the app store in the car is it's being supported by third parties. So they're going to be taking responsibility for, you know, supporting this, enabling it and making sure it's functioning properly. So Foresia and Harman and then P3 and there's a, a, uh, Aiden, and there's probably two or three others, but at least a half dozen different choices for App Store uh, supporting developers, tier one type uh, companies. And uh, when you talk about Hostalert, it's all about getting those new applications into the car fast. Uh, so we want to own that platform so we can deploy these solutions fast. You know, Hostalert got into Stellantis, 2 million plus cars now, and now available in Canada. That was breakneck speed. I mean, that was industry transforming uh, decision-making. Now, I'm not sure I would have done it precisely the way they did, but the bottom line was they got a safety application into the car fast with a software update, no no waiting around, uh, you know, no multiple year development cycle. We're talking months now. And uh, if, we're, if we're bringing safety into the car, mm-hmm. especially with all the cameras uh, on the vehicle, the opportunities to en- enhance safe driving is huge. And you need third-party developers to, to create those uh, solutions. What's really unique about this, Roger, to say kind of for some of our listeners may not follow all the tech, is that when you're working in that Android-based brain of the car for uh, the system, you have another brain in the car that's got all of your control modules. Is your door open? Give me access to a camera, so on and so forth. So Android is something called the the VHAL, which is the uh, vehicle hardware abstraction layer. And um, you don't need to know what that is, but it does matter for listeners out there because what that does is provide access so that you can see and get access to things as an app developer through the uh uh what you call it the pond scum i, I like that it's a, it's a <laughs> well it's the info strong. the infotainment on the yeah. top i mean <laughs> it's the sparkly stuff you see it's very glittery and cool and consumers yeah. like it but the real business end is the safety technology yeah and and on that we'll stick with business end. you know getting access to other hardware that you otherwise wouldn't be uh go it, it's valuable for safety but it's also valuable for performance and you know whether you're talking about off-road use for for bronco or jeep product i mean that there's things that you that that the SEMA world, the aftermarket 
uh, uh, people or been asking for forever. And now, now there's actually a method of which doing it, but also sandboxing in such a way that you're not, you probably can't anymore, but they, for a long time, there's a lot of reverse engineering that would happen over the CAN bus. And, uh, that's not a, production scalable way to go do things. That's uh, that's cool if you're wrenching on cars, but Absolutely. we're talking about deploying safety apps. You want to be doing this with the, uh, the full, uh, you, you need to, not, not, the safety app needs to be safe when it's deployed as well. Right. Aftermarket shake. What are you talking about? Is there an aftermarket? There still is, believe it or not. I'm uh, still friends with, with, uh, and I, I'm still, I, 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 folks that know me know I'm a car guy, but I've never gotten grease on my hands. I think I've changed an oil once or a transmission case. <laughs> I'm just saying you and I have seen SEMA change dramatically. And when we talked about CES earlier, you know, there used to be a different West Hall, which was aftermarket and the Alpines and the Pioneers gone. Um, so you, you could argue there is no aftermarket, but there's a different aftermarket. And it is a little bit more safety centric, actually, uh, which is important because, again, it's a question of speed to market getting that stuff in there. And it may have to go into the fleet market first before it's in consumer vehicles. And that's OK. Uh, because some of those vehicles uh, can be pretty dangerous on the road without these safety enhancements. So the aftermarket has discovered the importance of fleet uh, and uh, that sort of stepped in to fill in where so much of that aftermarket stuff was replaced by, you know, you know, we don't we have one DIN, two DIN. Does that even exist anymore? No, I don't think so. Not not much. I think I think a Forerunner is the last one left with a double din, but um, and maybe some of the commercial vans. I think the Sprinter van still does double din, but um, uh, yeah. Going back to something you said, Roger, earlier about you mentioning with Haas and the deployment. There, there's some news with Haas a month ago, and um, and the, yes, this is safety and checks the box for the bike lane with the show, but it, it kind of addresses a much larger issue around the data requirements. So. You have your phone, right? As a consumer, you, I'm assuming most people have unlimited data uh, or have enough data that, that it's not a problem to do what they want to do. When you get into a vehicle you're buying that might have, uh, maybe it's a one in three shot that has got the same telematics provider that you have on your phone, you have Verizon, AT&T, T-Mobile, whatever. Uh, the idea is like, well, you'd have to pay for another data plan. Well, uh, with this Haas news, that kind of changes the game a little bit. So you want to talk about like what that could mean? Yeah, there were a couple of uh, big uh, events that occurred at the Autotech Detroit event. That was one, and it was in the keynote. Uh, we won't talk about how uh, AT&T got the wrong. They had the Haas logo from Haas Motorsports uh, <laughs> in their presentation. We won't, we won't dwell on that. Classic. But uh, more importantly, making sure that that data exchange that's alerting drivers of emergency vehicles and service vehicles uh, in their proximity, they're not going that the automaker won't have to pay for that. The consumer won't have to pay for that. That was a really significant transformative moment, and it was not easily arrived at between the two parties, AT and T and Hustler. It took quite a bit of effort. Um, you know, you and I would observe to say, "What? It seems like a no-brainer. Why? Why is it so difficult?" Uh, we we won't get into it, but there is an untold story there. But more importantly, it was a big turning point, which I think didn't really set in with AT&T until after the show that, oh, we're in the 5G business now. We're in the CB to X business now. This is safety. The connection in the car has a safety implication. This isn't, we aren't streaming audio. This isn't, you know, silly apps in the dashboard. This is life-saving value propositions and the game has completely changed. So that was a light bulb moment for AT&T. The other big uh, evolution that occurred at the show was related to usage-based insurance. Cambridge Mobile Telematics has uh, sort of 
taken over Progressive's role as the leader in usage-based insurance. The significance of that being that Cambridge Mobile Telematics' unique selling proposition was they showed that they could change people's driving behavior by giving them feedback. Whereas Progressive always said, put the device in your car for six months. After that time, send it back. We know what kind of driver you are. You're never going to change. Here's your rate. Cambridge Mobile Telematics introduced the value of being always connected and monitoring driving behavior and giving constant feedback and demonstrating that they could change driving behavior. The other significant insurance announcement was Motor Information, a joint venture with Toyota, reflecting Toyota's entry into car insurance along with GM and Tesla, obviously. Uh, and Motor got approval in, in Indiana for a video telematics uh, solution. So using uh, video from the car as part of their underwriting. And that that's just beginning. We have 50 state level, you know, commissions. So it's going to have to go through all kinds of approvals, et cetera, et cetera. Indiana is the first, but getting that contextual information as you're driving. So, you know, you'd always have progressive, you get the beeping noise if you were braking for a squirrel or something. So next time you're just going to run over the squirrel because you don't want to get dinged. Well, if you have the camera and you'll, they can see why you broke. Hmm. So the big, the big trends were insurance is evolving and playing a more important role. And um, maybe we'll care about usage-based insurance, which I've all, always hated, but maybe it'll be more relevant. Uh, and the AT&T revelation that, oh, we're in the safety business. A big deal with the hostler. A lot of stuff going on. And since the show, uh, just uh, you know, a little bit of a, a warning for listeners, a little bit of doom and gloom here, but something that I think is important to cover is that We've definitely seen some belt tightening. Uh, we've seen it in industry. Uh, there's an article in the Wall Street Journal about uh, a few weeks back about why startups are failing. Uh, it didn't come as a surprise to me, just because I'm really I'm here in Detroit. I'm around this. I'm seeing it, and I'm also aware of just the amount of cash that went into startups. Uh, a lot of it was pandemic related funding, and that's going to run out at some point, and interest rates goes up, and the music's going to stop for a lot of folks. So, Roger, I'm curious that are you seeing with the automotive belt tightening, maybe some predictions or if not a prediction, just some some context on if we're going to see some some shifts on OEMs taking accountability and responsibility or shifting the responsibility part of safety programs to tier ones? Because it feels like what what I'm reading in the in the news makes it seem like the OEMs are going to do everything themselves and that's it. But do they do they have the right team and and model or could one is it justified to have one car company handling all this or is it going to go back to the cycle of okay a tier one is going to be supporting safety for several oems what's your take on this related to where the market's at today so there's a few things going on car makers have to figure out how to share data from their vehicles with other car makers to set some kind of pooling of information because this is going to be essential to advancing autonomous driving as well as advancing safety. And uh, the debacle of Weijo uh, was a huge blow to that effort because Weijo was trying to you know, create a marketplace for GM's data. And uh, with their demise and their uh, uh, registration, their filing in the UK, there were several companies at Autotech Detroit that were saying, well, yeah, we thought they were kind of uh, you know, screwy and uh, on the wrong track. However, the data was great. We were really using that data. It was great data. Uh, and this isn't even really camera data. Um, and that's, that's the sort of transformative thing, all this camera data. What are we doing with it? It does need to be shared. 
the industry would, would widely benefit from this. And we need this effort right now because the whole autonomous development activity has completely imploded and, and gone astray. Uh, there's no direction, limited leadership, very, very incremental progress around robo-taxis. For some reason, a lot of the folks I'm talking to lately are very down on commercial vehicle autonomous uh, applications, which is shocking to me and saddening because I think that's where uh, we, we have an immediate need, immediate business model and justification mm -hmm. uh, for a commercial vehicle over the road, on highways, at speed, uh, autonomous vehicle operation, and yet uh, a lot of people are questioning that. And then I've had people who were at the recent, uh, you know, it's the annual event at M-City with the autonomous competition between universities and people who were there saying, these students were saying, yeah, we're graduating, but there's no jobs. Oh, shit. There's no jobs. So are we going to lose all of this talent to, I don't know, uh, large language model development, uh, you know, cybersecurity? Are, are we are we not going to be able to reel them into the autonomous vehicle proposition? Mm -hmm. uh, so that is a big concern. And I think the automakers do have a role to play in finding a way to liberate their data, put their data to work, because if they don't, Tesla's going to run the table and walk away with the whole thing. They'll perfect this uh, experience and automakers as they have done. Oh, okay, we'll use the NACS charging standard. Oh, okay, we'll use the Google platform. They realize they don't have the resources to do everything in-house and they, they end up just giving up completely to Tesla. Okay, we'll license Tesla's autonomous driving technology because we just can't support this development in-house. That's a problem. Yeah, it's uh, like I said, with warning and doom and gloom, it's it's a little bit scary. Uh, on the on the positive side of this, and you know, I started my first company during the Great Recession, is that it clears out a lot of noise. And I, I had uh, coffee with a, a close friend of mine and another successful Detroit entrepreneur, serial entrepreneur, and we were just talking about just how like both of us have stopped going into for years, stopped being around the startup ecosystem at, for the most part. And it's, it's because we get in these, these rooms and it just feels like there's a lot of entrepreneurs and not that many entrepreneurs. And somebody might be like, okay, I'm like, there's stop the podcast. I'm, I'm unsubscribing, but I just, I'm just trying to be open. Keep it a hundred here. Is that like, this is what happens. I mean, we had this in the dot com bubble, you know, we had this to some extent in 2011, 2012, and then you start hearing complaints about how hard it is to raise seed in Series A, or seed was easy, Series A was hard. And I do know that who's going to be left, and if you're sticking to what you're great at, what you're world class at, you will be successful. And and to your point, Roger, about will they just go to Tesla? When it comes to physical infrastructure like charging. I mean, it, it, to me, it feels like like it just a, it feels like a utility. Where gas stations, as a consumer, is a utility. I expect there to be a gas station in between where I'm driving. I, I imagine that my parents or maybe grandparents were driving and really had to think about last gas station to fill up for the next seventy miles. You know, that's sort of a situation. But um, we just take it for granted as it's utility infrastructure. Whereas there's other topics uh, you, you you touched on several of them on on the show. But going back to the application app stores that that deliver these apps. 
the the data that's needed or uh, like something that we've been involved in with the work zone data exchange standards and every state's going to have a, their own flavor of this and providing helper software, let's call it, so that uh, you can be a OEM in any of the states and get access to the information without having to keep up with every state's implementation. So like, I think that there's going to be so many of these um, topics and I think one of the questions that we'll just come back to how it is, is uh, how it's been in, in cycles past is this is niche. Uh, so it's too small. Is it niche and you can build a business or, or niche too small? You can't build a business. And if you can't build a business, then you got a problem. And then eventually if OEMs have gaps and cracks, they're going to need someone to solve them. So I don't know where this is going to end up. You know, it's, it's hard to say right now because of the market situation and it, it's something that's concerning, but I'm also encouraged that I believe in America, we'll get on the backside of this and, and be stronger, but I don't know when that's going to happen. So automakers need to develop kind of uh, a SWAT team approach to deploying new technology. Uh, you know, because we have this phenomenon of over-the-air software updates, uh, we don't have to have, uh, you know, uh, non-recoverable engineering expenses expended over years and all these proofs of concept. We can get to market fast. Uh, you know, you have someone like a Tripco Blazuski. Uh, at Stellantis, you know, head spinning uh, ability to to bring new solutions into the car. Tesla has been doing the same thing, you know, with the ESS uh, emergency safety solution uh, software over the air update, got it, into, got it deployed into the cars. Mm -hmm. um, and I think there's going to be more and more of that. But leaders have to emerge at the car makers to to drive these uh, activities. And the, the problem is you have, historically, there have been blockers in the automakers, you know, like a guy comes in with a new idea, uh, somebody thinks it's a great idea, sends them over to the engineers for the technical review and, and the technical review guys, like, oh, no, we can do this in-house, which, you know, okay, now you're talking about years of development as opposed to someone who has a solution ready to go. And I think that infrastructure, that built-in resistance, that inclination to build it ourselves I think is rapidly eroding, especially after, you know, you were talking about layoffs and reductions, you know, uh, as the teams at the OEMs gets, gets smaller and smaller, it's clearer and clearer. They have to rely on outside third parties and uh, to, to deploy these solutions and to be competitive, uh, to keep pace. Yeah. It, uh, we, we like that acronym or don't like that acronym, but uh, the not invented here, the NIH and um, been fighting that my entire career in automotive and, uh, I learned it's best not to fight it. Just, just kind of sit back and just ask, okay, well, what, what are the things that you don't need to make here? Or even with some of the Android topics, we've been around for a few years now, we made a bet and largely right about this, that Google wasn't going to solve all the problems. And even Google always needs help and is looking for folks in there and they, they're, they're working with AOS, the operating system and the open source, um, open, uh, the platform, the automotive, Android automotive open source platform, the AAOSP. That's the key difference between Google and Apple. Google, not the easiest organization to get along with, but they've tried. They've made an effort. They've created a council, mm -hmm. listened, and made some adjustments and defined a development path forward. This is where we're going. This is when we're going to do these different things. And with the Mercedes announcements earlier this year, they said, okay, you don't have to use our user interface. You can control the data yourself. We won't take all of your data. Whereas Apple, it's just Apple's way or the highway, love it or shove it. You know, if there's one uh, supplier the automotive industry loves to hate, it's Apple. Mm -hmm. Apple just makes no accommodation. Uh, and uh, if you're looking for a reason why GM and Mercedes and VW would turn away from Apple, to at for any reason, it's because of that inflexibility 
and um, lack of you know outreach and accommodation for the automotive industry. Yeah, I think that's a uh, kind of a good segue to uh, get into uh, kind of one final point about safety getting into the vehicles. So, in your your feeling, Roger? So obviously, Haas did a fantastic job. We're, we're seeing. Uh, increase in traction in 5.9 and just in general V to X topics, infrastructure bill money's rolling. Any advice for folks that are not in the automotive industry listening to the show about how they should be paying attention to methods to get into the car over the next six months? Penetrating the automotive industry, you know, Jake, my first question to anyone who wants to get into the industry is why? You know, were you like mistreated as a child or something? You have some <laughs> deep-seated psychological issues you're trying to come to terms with because it's so painful and so unpleasant, uh, but it it is evolving, it is changing, and, and automakers need help. So maybe now more than ever, that they're listening, uh, recognizing that they they don't know it all. They don't have everything figured out and they need all the help they can get. So then it's a question of how do you get in? So that means you have to simultaneously interact with the wireless carriers and the tier ones and tier twos and the automakers themselves. And don't take no for an answer because uh, for any project at an automaker, there's a variety of points of implementation as well as a number of different purchasing decisions to be made. There's the there's the we're interested decision, there's the technical specification decision, and then there's the financial decision. So you need to have your business model lined up. You have you have to have your technical requirements uh, defined and you need to understand, you know, your use case scenarios and, and how your solution is going to evolve over time. So you can tell that that story. You know, why do I want to put your solution in my car? What's the value proposition? What's the and I it's unfortunately you can't get around this. Uh, you know, automakers do want to know, you know, where the money is, you know, show me the money. Uh, how am I going to make money on this? Or how am I going to save money? Or how am I going to better retain my customers? Why am I doing this? Uh, so uh, I think if if you can confront and come to grips with all of those things and, and be very patient, I've, I've worked with some companies for literally decades trying to get new technologies into cars. And for some of those companies, all of those efforts are just coming to fruition now. So it can be a long, painful process, but incredibly rewarding. Uh, you and I both know uh, quite often it only takes one deal, one deal for, to, for a, a solution to be deployed on all the cars from uh, you know one of the top 10 automakers. And immediately you're talking about a nine-figure value proposition that unfolds over 10 years' time. Uh, now, granted, it has to be supported, and I won't name names, but there's a reason why. Okay, I will name one name. Autotox, you know, just sold to Qualcomm, 300, 350 million, whatever it was. Autotox, DSRC, what are you talking about? 350 million dollars. They got the VW deal. They got deployed in VW vehicles. That's a multiple year uh, project contract. And You've got it made. One deal and you have got it made. So that's the brass ring for any new player coming in. You get that one automaker on board. The the rest are just kind of gravy from there. Uh, and to say nothing of the fact that once you get in, all of a sudden those VCs that were so skeptical and holding back, all of a sudden uh, you're their best buddy now. Uh, maybe they want to talk. Uh, you know, maybe an IPO might make some sense now. Um, so as painful as it is and as doom and gloom, uh, the picture can be painted sometimes. Uh, the opportunity 
is still there. And even though we're not talking about smartphones with billions of units or hundreds of millions of units, uh, you know, we're only making about 80 million cars a year. Like I said, one deal, one automaker, you're golden. There you have it. So, uh, Roger, what, what are you listening to these days? Any, any shows, um, podcasts, uh, blogs, uh, what, what's, what's hot this, this summer for you? What's hot. Wow. That's a, you're raising the bar here on me. Um, I did meet some Changing the Industry podcast. So if you want to understand what's going on in the aftermarket and the repair shops, it seems like everywhere you look in this industry, there's a shortage of long-haul drivers. There's a shortage of techs. So it's interesting to to listen to that and see how they're they're kind of coping with those challenges. I still listen to uh, Alan Kornhauser on Smart Driving Cars. There's a sometimes occasionally a, a broken record uh, element to it, but uh, he does speak plainly, and and uh, I like that. And he know, it, he knows what he's talking about. Corey at Hostler introduced me to the 2448, which is about emergency responders and sort of what they do on the side. Uh, Driving with Dunn uh, is a good one. I have to stand by uh, Automotive News, you know, the Shift podcast. Uh, I can't say they're universally awesome, but generally speaking, they, they get good guests. Alan Kornhauser's plain speaking on the smart driving car has cost him some uh, support among potential uh, participants, I will say. The uh, Talking the Drive, there's, there's a few other podcasts out there. The ones I just named are the more high-frequency uh, contributors. And we'll link all those up in the show notes. Uh, last question, Roger, how can listeners get in touch with you? LinkedIn, but if you reach out to me on LinkedIn, I'll, I'll send you my business email and, and use that. So arlanto at techinsights.com. Yeah, I've got about 20,000 LinkedIn connections, so I'm not that hard to find on LinkedIn. That, that's all? That's it? That's it? That's it? I'm working on it. I'm working on it. There is a limit, you know. 30,000 is the limit. I need your publicist. But you mentioned events. Just, by the way, upcoming events that I think are worthwhile. EIA Mobility in uh, in Munich in the fall. Uh, Reuters um, Automotive USA, C-level folks. Um the management briefing seminar is coming up in a few weeks um, at uh, Traverse City. Um, and there's probably a few others that are uh, escaping my uh, brain fog at this point. But um, just just a, a little note there. Well, it was great having you back on the show. And, and as always, it's, it's, it was great seeing you uh, a few weeks back and look forward to uh, crushing. And there's going to be a lot of action over the next uh, next six months um, with, with just the way the market's going and, and the speed of innovation. So thank you, Roger. And that was Roger Lonto, Director of Connected Mobility at Tech Insights. I'm your host, Jake Siegel. Thanks again for listening and see you next time in the bike lane.